You had a good week? Y'all are slow today. Have you had a good week? Did you enjoy the praise and worship time this morning? Trying to help it out this morning, Troy. I like that little extra beat that you put on there this morning. Listen, turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Can we go there today? While you're turning there, uh, I pray that you've had a good week. Listen, if you've not signed up for the fall festival, go ahead and make sure you do that. You can text the word festival to our text line and go ahead and get signed up. And also, a couple of classes beginning tonight um, with uh, Heritage University. Love for you to sign up if you're not involved. There'll be some great, great things happening there. Uh, Romans chapter 5, while you're turning there, you know, we've been talking about this bad news, good news, and all that kind of stuff. We started out with the bad news. We've made it sort of to the good news. And at the end of, the, end of our passage last week, there was a word that if you have an English Standard Version, NIV, there's a word that was at the end of chapter 4, and that word is justification. Let's just review that really quickly. Let me make sure that I give you that definition before we begin today, because what Paul is going to say to us today in beginning in chapter 5 is in reference to what he said ending in chapter 4. And this is the definition for justification. Um, it means to declare righteous. We are declared righteous not by our works. If you remember, our works are nothing more than filthy rags. Amen? Amen. It's not good enough. But yet here's Jesus that comes in. He redeems us. He buys us back. He pays the price to justify those so that we can be declared righteous in our Heavenly Father's sight. And I just want to make sure that you know that today as we begin uh, in chapter 5. Because what Paul is going to say to us in chapter 5 directly relates to what he had to say ending in chapter 4. So with that being said, let's just start. I'm going to probably move around a little bit today in, in our notes, so you just sort of hang with me, and, uh, but we're going to make it through at some point in time. And if I don't make it through, listen, just pray and be dismissed and go on about life, okay? Amen? Isn't that right, Mark? If I fall out on stage, just go on about life. It's just going to be okay. Jesus loves us anyway. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 1, let's begin there today. And he begins with these, this word, therefore, therefore, in other words, in light of, in light of what he's been talking about, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, in other words, we've been justified, he says we can have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we can confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength and character, and character strength, uh, strengthens our confident hope of salvation. In verse 5, and this hope, this hope that we have, will not lead to disappointment. Mm. For we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Now, if there were a journalist that were covering this story today, they might uh, pin a story. The headline might be something along this line. Center freed, benefits abound. Center freed, benefits abound. Because there are some incredible benefits that we have when being united with Christ, having been justified with Christ. To begin with, let's look at a couple of words. 
starting there in verse, in verse 1. Look at what he says. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, in other words, we've been justified, look at what he says. Because of that, what does he say? We have peace with God. Listen, I don't know what you look for. If you were to look for a job these days, um, there's really no telling what you might be looking for. It may be just you want a high salary. It may be the fact that you're looking for benefits because these days and times, benefits can be just as important as the salary package. Amen? Yeah. I mean, benefits such as uh, maybe it's, it's time off, could be sick time, could be insurances such as dental and health and and uh, it might be disability, it might be retirement, 401k. I was going to say 501k. That'd be really good. I like to have one of those instead of a 401. Um, but it could be retirement benefits. It might be the team of people that you work with. That can be a great benefit, right? The environment that you work in, the culture that you work in. But here we have some of the benefits of what it means to be justified with Christ. And he begins here with number one, we can have peace with God. Remember, I want you to remember this, that he's talking to believers. And he's saying just because we, you've been justified, you've been made right, we can now have peace with God because what, have, what is Christ has done for us, not because of what we've done, but what Christ has done for us, we can have peace with God. One of the first things that he mentions here is peace. We aren't enemies any longer with God as a, as a follower of Christ, but now we have been made right, we have been justified Prior to, prior to that justification, we were at odds with God. We were enemies. We were on opposing teams, like Alabama and Texas A&M. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. They finally lost. But that enmity that one time existed is no longer there because of Jesus. He paid the price. He justified. He brought us back. And then we're not talking about just a feeling of peace here, but we're talking about a fact of peace. You know, as sinners, we're separated from God. I mean, it's something that all of us, we've, we've said it, we've been saying it over and over. It's like this broken record that, that Paul continues to go back to them in the beginning. We're all sinners. Man, we all fall short. We all deserve God's wrath and his judgment. I don't care what color of your skin is, what, what language you may speak, where you may have been raised, the type of parents that you have. All of us are sinners. There are no exceptions. And there might be people that say, well, well you know, I've... I've not trusted Jesus, but, but um, I don't have anything against God, and that's not the point. <laughs> Without Jesus, God's got something against us. As a matter of fact, this is what the Scripture has to say, but there's no peace for the wicked, says the Lord. The psalmist goes on to say that God is angry with the wicked every day, and it goes back to the premise to what he was talking about early on in Romans chapter 1 when he said, but God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And here's the deal. You may not understand this, but the enemy's not your spouse. The enemy's not your boss. The enemy's not your wayward children. It's, it's not... It's not those who, uh, maybe the opposing political, prime, uh, uh, political party. But the roadblock to our peace is this. It's, it's a three-letter word called sin. S-I-N. Sin. Something that all of us experience. It means to miss the mark. It's what separates those. It's what separates us. And it's what destroys our relationship with God. 
And you might have a person that doesn't follow Christ that says something like this, well, I don't, I don't have any problems. I mean, my life seems to be going well. And my response to that would be something along this line. Just because there's a season without problems doesn't mean that you're at peace with God. I mean, I know lots of people that have this, this season of what seems to be, everything seems to be going okay, but that doesn't mean that you're at peace with God. How many times have I heard somebody say, well, you know, my life's going just fine, and, but they don't realize the storm that's ahead. How many times do we, do we think that, that we're in the season of peace, but that season of peace can give us a false sense of security? It's like that mirage in the desert that I saw a couple of summers ago as I was driving through um, that desert out west. And, and from time to time, I thought, there it is. That's, that's what they used to talk about, the mirage. It looks like there's water, and there was no water. It's a false sense of security for somebody who may be thirsty. It's like a man who commits a crime. He's not caught, and so he's free, and so at this moment in time, he thinks everything's fine because he's not been arrested. He's not been charged for the crimes that he has, but he's in enmity with the law, and eventually he'll be caught. Eventually, there'll be a price to be paid because, because he's guilty. Just because you, you're free it for the moment, and there's a sense of peace, doesn't mean that you're at peace with God. You know, it's the same way we think about being at peace with God. We can be at peace with God, yet not experience the peace of God because of unconfessed sin or carnality in our, in our lives. Jesus is our true source of peace. He is the one who makes our peace possible through his sacrifice. It isn't in our passages today, but I want you to look up, just look on ahead just a little bit to verse 10 there and look at what Paul had to say. He went on to say, since, it's, since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, we were still his enemies. We will, be certainly, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. Talking about a peace treaty, that peace treaty has been signed. Jesus signed that peace treaty. He initiated and he signed it. And here's what he's talking about. Look at there in verse 11. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. It's what the cross did. It's what the cross did. It's what it made possible. It made peace possible. Jesus made peace possible because of the, the cross. So what justification means is that we've been declared righteous. It's the result of an, an objective legal peace. Isaiah 53, 5 says this, and maybe you've heard this verse before, but he has pierced our trans, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us Peace, peace was on him, and by his wounds we are, we're healed. And so after receiving this peace of God, there's another type of peace that, that we should experience, and that's not just the peace, peace with God, but the peace of God. Paul references that when he's writing to the believers at Philippi, when he went on to say this, maybe this is a familiar passage, don't worry about a thing, pray about everything, tell God what you need and thank him for what he's done. That after receiving the peace, peace with God, that we can experience the peace of God. The peace with God generates the peace of God. To summarize it, I've heard it this way before. Jesus as Savior brings peace with God. Jesus as Lord brings the peace of God. I'll say that one more time for you. 
Jesus as Savior brings peace with God. Jesus as Lord brings the peace of God. It ushers it in. It's interesting that all the things that Jesus had to say in reference to the scriptures, one of the titles that bears his name uh, is Prince of Peace. Now, there's a lot of things that Jesus could have been labeled for. He could have been called the Prince of Love, the Prince of Hope, the Prince of Joy. But no, that wasn't the title that was given. He was called the Prince of Peace. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. You know why? Because he came to bring peace between mankind and God. He came to restore and to, to offer in an assurance of restoration through his blood. I mean, how many people want peace? I mean, I think about the world that we live in and all the chaos that seems to be going on, and there are people that are searching for peace. I mean, you see it on Facebook all the time. I have no earthly idea why some people write the things they write on Facebook and social media. But it gives me a little bit of a temperature where people are at. People are longing for a sense of peace, for a sense of contentment, and they just, how many people don't have it? They want it, but they, they don't want to do what, it, what is required to receive it. They don't want to, we don't want to, many times want to completely surrender our life to Christ. We want peace, but we don't want to do what's required to receive it. Once you write this down this, this morning, not just peace with God, but what about the privilege of access? The privilege of access, uh, verse two, read with me there, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we competently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. The NIV says it this way, through whom we have gained access by faith into grace in which we now stand and boast uh, in the hope of the, God, of the glory of God. That word access is a very interesting word. You know, when we define it, there would be the act of bringing or approaching now, in the Greek, it's like somebody taking somebody and introducing them. Um, one commentary likened it to a man who, who, uh, who, who, who set up a meeting with the king. They had access to the king. They were going to bring another man to meet the king, but, but, the, but the, they had to be dressed in a certain manner, and so they made sure that they were, they were dressed in appropriate clothing to bring him to have access to the king. This person had access to the king because they knew the king, but they knew before a meeting could take place, this person that they were bringing to have access to show them the king, to introduce them to the king, had to be dressed in a certain manner. And I want you to think about it from this perspective. I mean, it's a pretty good description. I mean, you think about this because here, here we are from a human perspective. What do we have to, to, to wear into the presence of our heavenly father? We don't have anything to offer. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. And don't miss this, but Jesus comes in. He redeems us. He justifies us. He clothes us in his righteousness. And then he takes us in and he introduces us to the father. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me, except through me. We are declared righteous. Talk about a benefit. <laughs> Here it is. Jesus gives us direct access to our heavenly Father. And you got to remember that prior to Jesus, that idea of intimacy of God was non-existent, especially after the presence of sin in the garden. It was very difficult to come by. When it came to intimacy and access to God, if you wanted to get close to God, you just didn't run into the temple and announce, oh, here I am, God. But there was a process. 
To go into the temple, there were certain walls and there were certain things that had been set up and you could only go so far depending on who you were, what position you held, whether or not you were male or female or Jew or a Gentile. And there was only one person, one time a year that had access to the Holy of Holies and that was the high priest. The high priest himself. And for him to go into the Holy of Holies on that one day, that day of atonement, there had to, he had to work through a, a, an awful lot of, of, of guidelines and expectations to make it into that place. He had to follow some, some, um, some very strict guidelines. I love the stories that if you read the Old Testament, there's the stories about how they, he had to wear certain things and how he had to cleanse himself. And at the bottom of his, of his robe, there were these bells. And, and, you know, there are these stories that are told. Now, some of it I can justify going back to the scriptures because the, the scriptures talk about the bells on their, on their robes. But I've also heard the stories about when the high priest would go in, they would also tie a rope around his ankles just in case he didn't do what he was supposed to do and he, was, and he, was, uh, he didn't follow the guidelines and all of a sudden the bells stopped ringing and uh, we better drag him out so they would drag him. I can't find that in the scriptures, but I do find it in some, of the, in some of the traditions of the rabbis as they tell the stories about the high priest. Sounds logical, possible. But what the whole point of this is there was limited access to God. Only for a few. And it ended, it all ended at the cross. Because it was at the cross that the veil of the temple was rent from the top to the bottom. And here it was, it was a symbol of God's invitation saying, listen baby, come on. Come on, I, I, I want to see you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to worship and I want to fellowship with you. There was no more separation being limited. But it was complete access to our Heavenly Father. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul would say, as he wrote to the, to the church there at Ephesus, but now you have been united with Christ once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus did. He gave us access to the Father through his death, not once, not once a year, but ongoing. That every morning when you get up and every day as you're driving to work and every, not just on Sundays, but every day you have access to the Heavenly Father. That you can have fellowship with Him. We have access to the throne any day. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 says this, that so let them, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive His mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. And we don't have to approach the throne timidly, you know, cautiously, out of fear. But the Bible says that we can approach our Heavenly Father with boldness, with confidence, knowing that, listen, we're not a visitor. We're not an intruder, but we're a son. We've been adopted into his family. The Bible says that we're an heir. Look at what he goes on to say in verse 2, stand, in, in the word stand, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserving privilege where we now stand. A better translation would be where we stand firmly. Because of a child of God, it means that even though we may fall or mess up, that we still have access to our heavenly father. The door is always open. The light is always on. My son calls me the other day. He's not here. I can tell the story. Dad, it's about 7.30 in the morning. Yes, son. Dad, you're going to be really angry. You okay, buddy? Yeah, but no. All right. What's going on? Dad, my car's gone. 
Okay, where's it at? <laughs> uh, it got towed. Okay, where'd it get towed to? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I said, so you were parking in the wrong parking spot. Well, Dad, there are no parking spots here. Okay. All right. Well, son, what do you think I should do? Um, this is the worst part of it, Dad. You're going to have to get it out. I said, I'm going to have to get it out. I said, but you're going to have to hump it for a while. That's all I can say. And we laughed. And I thought to myself, I've been there. I've done that. I, want, I wanted to make fun of him, but I couldn't do it, you know. <laughs> he calls me a little bit later, Dad, I feel like a homeless person. <laughs> Good lesson, son. Good lesson. Doesn't matter what he does, does it? There's still a deep love. We have direct access to our Heavenly Father regardless. He loves us. Price has been paid. Light is always on. The door is always open. You know, and we've talked about this the other day. I, I, I want our kids to come to us regardless of what it may be, regardless of what the cost may be. In the same way, I want, I want to be able to go to my Heavenly Father regardless of what situation it may be, what circumstance it may be. I want, I, want, I want to know, I want my kids to know that they can, just like they can approach me, they can approach their Heavenly Father, that He always loves them. Always loves them. So the, the benefit of we can have peace with God, the benefit of the fact that we can have access to God, and what about this thirdly? He says here in verse 2, at the end of verse 2, we can confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. The third benefit, a preview of the future eternal hope. Our salvation is anchored in the past because of what Jesus did on the cross. And as a result, we can have peace with God in the present. We can have direct access with God right now. Thirdly, in the future, we have the promise of what's to come. Man, what an incredible benefit. As a believer, we have the hope that goes beyond just having a better life today, that we have a hope of eternity. God's glory for tomorrow. You know, you, maybe you've heard that statement, the best is yet to come. My mom and dad have a statement, grow old along with me, the best is yet to be. And my response would be in relationship to my, my relationship with God, absolutely. There's so much more. We have the promise of heaven in Exodus chapter 33. Here's Moses saying, Lord, show me your glory. And I think, what do you mean, show me your glory? You, Moses, look at all the other stuff that you've already experienced, and you're telling, show me more? I mean, good gracious of life. I mean, here you have the plagues. Here you've got God rescuing you out of Egypt. You've got the parting of the Red Sea. You've got the destruction of, the, of, the, uh, of your enemies. I mean, you've got a fire by day and a cloud by night, or a cloud by day and a fire by night. You've got the, the feeding of the, the manna. You're talking about the water from the rock. You're talking about show me more. Show me more. First John 3, but dear friends, we, already, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. It's called the hope, the hope and the glory of God. I mean, but it's not this kind of hope that we talk about. I'm crossing my, my fingers, and I hope, I mean, I, I hope. 
But there's a sense of certainty. There's a sense of longing. There's a, there's a sense of confidence. One commentary likens it as a, a happy certainty. There are two reasons why we can have hope in spite of the present circumstances we may be facing. Number one, because Jesus prayed for it. Listen to what Jesus prayed in John chapter 17. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for, those, for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you, as you are in me, Father, I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you've given to me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory that you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. And Jesus' prayer is that one day we would see his glory. In spite of the present circumstances we might be facing, Jesus prayed for it, that one day we would see it. Secondly, Jesus did something so that we would, it would ensure that it would happen. It was the resurrection. Here's Jesus being resurrected from the dead. And when he did, it proved that Jesus was, what Jesus promised was faithful, or was possible. That's why Peter, referring to the resurrection, called it a living hope. This is what he said in 1 Peter 3. All praise to God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. The NIV says this. He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. So here's Peter, this fisherman, and these other guys. All they knew what to do was to fish. That was how they made their living. That was how they survived, day in and day out. And I guess they would have had to at some point sitting up under the stars one night going, man, there's just got to be more to life than this. <laughs> but then this man by the name of Jesus came by and he said, listen, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And that's exactly what they did. They said, I'll follow. And they followed and they followed for a series of three years. But three years later, that man that they had left everything that they knew, three years later, he was arrested. And he wasn't just arrested, but he would be beaten and he would be crucified and they would bury him in a tomb. And when Jesus died, so did every bit of their hopes and dreams that they had placed. Not just Peter, but the other followers as well. But that isn't how the story ended. Because three days later, we know that the tomb became empty. And some would say that his body was stolen. But they would later, just later discover that, no, the body hadn't been stolen, but he had been resurrected from the grave. Jesus was alive, and at that moment, hope exploded. So we've got the immediate benefit. We've got the continuing benefit and the ultimate benefit. We've got the past, the present, and the future, but also there's the promise of more. You can write that down, the promise of more. We've got peace with God, the privilege of access, the future of an eternal hope, and what's, come, what's to come, but there's also the promise of more. It's like those commercials you see on TV. Now, some of you have seen these commercials. You know, if you do this right here, well, then you can have this. But, but if you respond right now, you just won't get one, you get two. Oh, no, you just won't get two, but you'll get three. Not $300, not $200, not $100, but for three easy payments of $33.33 .33 for three months, 
then you'll get this. And included, we will provide free shipping. You know what I'm saying? You ever seen that commercial on TV? And all of us are just ready to go make that purchase, aren't we? And here's Paul saying, we can rejoice too there in verse three. In other words, there's more. Not only can we have peace with God, access with God and eternal hope in heaven, but there's more. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength and character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. The hope of eternity. The hope of eternity in heaven, but what about in the meantime? What, what, about, what about back here on earth? What about between now and, and then? What about the difficulties, the complications, the trials in life that we happen to face, the heartache, the pain, the suffering? What about those tribulations that we encounter here on this earth before then, the eternal hope of glory? And Paul tells us that after salvation, listen, life isn't necessarily a cakewalk. It's not easy. As a matter of fact, there's going to be difficulties. It's not problem-free, as you may think, and maybe as some of us have been led to think that following Jesus offers. It's not a problem-free life, but there are struggles and there's trials and there's troubles. And just because we've been justified doesn't mean that we're exempt from the difficulties. Amen? Listen, you're going to walk through times of difficulty. You're going to walk through times that you don't understand. They're going to walk through times of wrestling and doubt and confusion and, and, and chaos. It's going to be there. But we have a guarantee that when we experience those trials, there is a purpose behind those trials because all things work together to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Talk about the word tribulation. The, the word English word tribulation comes from a Latin word called tribulum. Tribulum in the old days was a piece of wood ex so long by wide, just a big old block of wood. They would take that block of wood and they would, they would hammer in these spikes, pieces of uh, metal, iron, or it would be rocks that would be hewn into this, this piece of wood. And, and what they would do is they would, they would clear the fields. They would harvest the fields of grain. Maybe it was wheat, um, rice, or whatever it would have been. And they would take these sheaves of, of, of grain and they would bring it and they would put it in a pile, if you can imagine piles. So they would take and they would, they would bring these piles and they would put them, put them together in piles. And then they would take this tribulum and then what they would do is by, either by hand or by animal, they would go over and over and over and over this pile of, this pile of uh, what had been harvested. And what this tribulum would do is it, after a period of time, it would separate the husk from the seed. Are you with me? It's what we would do in this day and time. What I did growing up, um, I've shared this with you before as a child, I remember, I remember harvesting um, seed from the, the garden. We would wait till certain seed pods would harden up and they would dry out. We would harvest them. We would put them in croaker sack bags we would tie them to the tree, and Grandma and Grandpa would give us a stick, and we'd go to wailing away at it. Same exact, same exact thought process. And what it would do is that beating on that bag would separate the husk from the seed. Seed would fall down to the bottom. Then we would take a sheet. It would be on a windy day. We'd take that sheet. We'd lay it out. They would pour the contents of that, that uh, croaker sack onto that sheet, and while the wind was blowing, you would toss it up very gently. 
And what it would do is the wind would blow away the husk. So what the tribunal was used for is it was used to separate that which was useful from that which was not useful, that which was, was purposeful from that which was not purposeful, that, that which was good from that which was, was bad. It served a purpose. There was a purpose that was involved. And I want you to look at what Paul says here. See, that's in reference to tribulations. That's what, that's what happens with tribulations. Tribulations, tribulum, that's what a tribulation does. Listen to what Paul says. For we know, for we know that they, the problems and troubles, help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us. Because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. So what are we supposed to do with these times of tribulations, these times of, of difficulty? I mean, are we, just so to, are we just sort of supposed to press through and grin and bear it? But Paul says, no. No. What you're supposed to do is you're supposed to rejoice in it. Not whine and complain, not bellyache. But what we're supposed to do is really say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Instead of asking why me, say what for? Are you with me? I mean, for those of us that are believers, that we walk through these times of troubles, knowing that no matter what might happen, how dark the situation may be, we can have hope because we can know that God is at work in the pain and the difficulty. We can learn things about the Lord. We can learn things about his faithfulness that we would otherwise never, ever learn. Man, y'all are quiet today. Have you ever thought about trials and tribulations and those times of difficulty being used for that? Um, that I can understand that whatever it may be that I'm facing right now, heaven's on the other side. For those that are getting older, you understand that. That whatever tribulation or trial you may be walking through right now, that heaven's on the other side of it. Maybe you remember the story of Joseph in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis. Here he was, the, you know, his brothers didn't really like him very much. As a matter of fact, they wanted to kill him, but instead they threw him in a pit. You remember that? They threw him in a pit. His brothers threw him in a pit. Sold him as a slave. The joker was put in prison. I mean, he ended up being convicted of stuff that he didn't do. In and out of prison several different times. I mean, it was, I mean if anybody wanted to give up and quit, it could have been this guy named Joseph, but he didn't. Eventually, he would end up second in charge of all of Egypt. God would put him in charge. Pharaoh would put him in charge, but God would, God's the one that initiated all of that. But he was teaching him all the way through. And at the end, here was him standing before his brothers that he had the ability to be able to destroy them. But instead, he said, no. He said, listen, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. See, here it was, Joseph's life. Not only, it not only was the difficulty for his growth, and his dependency on God, but also it would be for the salvation, not only of himself, but also for others. You know, there's a famous path, pastor, an author by the name of Samuel Rutherford. Maybe you've, you've heard of him. Uh, his grave sits next door to St. Andrew's Golf Course in Scotland. For those of you that are golf enthusiasts, I know that we have some that have played golf there. Um, there at the, what they call the Cathedral Gate Graveyard. In one of his books, he wrote this in reference to trials and tribulations. <laughs> and I quote, and I want you to listen very carefully, and I'm going to read it twice because I want you to hear it. 
This is what he said, and I quote, Why should I tremble at the plow of my Lord that maketh deep furrows in my soul? I know he is no idle husband, yet he purposes a crop. Did you hear that? Let me read it for you one more time. Why should I tremble at the plow of my Lord that makes deep furrows of my soul? I know he is no idle husband, yet he purposes a crop. God's got a plan. God's got a purpose. He's always at work. Not why me, but what for? So we've been justified by faith, talking about benefits. We, because of that, we can have peace with God. We, can have the, we have the privilege of access. We can have an eternal hope with one day that we're going to be in heaven, but also we have the promise of more, that even in the trials and tribulations that we will experience, that God is at work, that there's more. Beyond the problem, we've got heaven. You know, the decision that I made to follow Jesus X amount of years ago, can I just say this? There's been struggles over the years. There's been difficulties over the years. There's been times that I've questioned, I've wondered, that I've struggled and I've, I've wavered a little bit here and there. But as I sit where I am today, it's the best decision I've ever made in my life. Best decision I've ever made. Not only the best decision I've ever made for, in my life, but it's the best decision I've ever made for my family's life. Because if it wasn't for Jesus, I wouldn't be sitting here today. And I want my family, I want my family and my family's family and my family's 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 family. I want that legacy of faith to be passed down from generation to generation to generation. Because of all the decisions I've ever made in life, the one that I treasure the most was the day that I said, Jesus, I believe. I want to trust you. I don't know about you. I don't know where you sit today. I don't know where you may find yourself. I don't know if you may be at a place that you're wrestling with, with various things you may be walking through. Maybe you're here today and you've never made the decision to trust Jesus. What is it that keeps you from making the most important decision in your life? You know what a prayer is for us is that we would consistently be motivated to go deeper and further, further and deeper and deeper and further. But this is what I know. Growth never comes easy. Growth is always painful. Always painful. Growth also takes intentionality. Would you pray with me today? Father, what a blessing it is to come into your house. And as we read your word, I'm reminded of just what Paul had to say. The encouraging words of that there is so many benefits to coming, being justified in, in Christ. Help us not to bypass those things, but Father, to, to accept them, to receive them, and to, and to acknowledge them. Help us to, 
to thoroughly enjoy this journey that we're on and not miss anything. What a privilege it is to be your children. Help us to anticipate Help us to anticipate that once future hope of eternal glory that we all are looking towards. But in the meantime, while we're here on this earth, help us to enjoy this journey that we're on and not miss anything. For those of us that are in this room today that may be walking through times of difficulty, help us to be reminded that there's purpose. Just as we talked about the story of the tribunal, that there's a separating that takes place in the tribulations. It's a working away, of, of, of a shaving away of those things that, that, are, that are not needed. There's a refining that takes place. Help us to walk into that expectantly, knowing that you're at work. Help us not to run. Help us not to run, but help us to be steadfast, unmovable. For the person that may be here that don't know you, that has never trusted you, even today, Lord Jesus, would they cry out and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need you. Even today, would they choose to place their faith and trust in you? For that person that may be here listening to my voice, Lord, I pray that they would be responsive and in, in letting us know how we can walk alongside of them in these next steps as they choose to follow you. As we prepare to leave this place, this is, what I, this is what I ask. Jesus, would you make us mindful of the opportunities that, that are presented to us? Help us mind, be mindful of every opportunity we have to serve you, to be your hands and feet in this community. Thank you for the privilege of, of, of being a part of a church family that is not only involved in ministry here, but we also see beyond, beyond the walls. Bless us in the days ahead so that we will not just have an impact for today, but an eternal impact. Bless us as we leave today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.